Let's pray. Father, I pray that you would make us like Athanasius this morning and that uh, because we've been here this morning, we would be a little bit more consumed with Christ and a little bit different because we see uh, a little bit more fully, completely. Our, our thoughts are more absorbed with Jesus and what he means to us. Pray that you would teach us this morning. In Jesus' name, amen. If you turn to Romans chapter 12, and in the Bibles that were just passed out, that would be page 866. 866, Romans 12. come to that in just a few minutes. We'll be starting at verse 1 there when we do. I'd like you to listen to this verse, one verse out of 1 Peter to set our kind of focus this morning on what we're going to talk about. You were cleansed from your sins when you obeyed the truth. So now you must show sincere love to each other as brothers and sisters. Love each other deeply with all your heart. I want you to remember that last phrase. Love each other deeply with all your heart. We hear all the time about how the church is is and isn't, right? I, I wrote down a few quotes that I thought were kind of hard and kind of funny too, okay? Four quotes on the church. I want you to just listen and thinking about the church this morning. And loving one another deeply from the heart. Somebody says, has said, every day people are straying away from the church and going back to God. Like that. Every day people are straying away from the church and going back to God. Somebody else has said, all institutions of churches, whether Jewish, Christian, Muslim, appear to me no other than human inventions set up to terrify and enslave mankind and monopolize power and profit. The church. Another one, people go to church for the same reasons they go to a tavern. To stupefy themselves, to forget their misery, and to imagine themselves, for a few minutes anyway, free and happy. Is that why you're here this morning? (laughs) One more. I am completely in favor of the separation of church and state. This isn't my quote. This is somebody else's quote, okay? I am completely in favor of the separation of church and state. My idea is that these two institutions screw us up enough on their own so both of them together is certain death. 
Well, the faults of the church are, are very evident, right? <laughs> because we're all people that are faulty people. And it's splashed about in the news, but, but the good news this morning is that's not what I'm going to talk about, okay? Because it's evident, as we look about us, that the church throughout history and today has a lot of faults. But what, what, I'd like to, what I'd like us to look at this morning, just for a little bit, as I'd like us to imagine, and we're going to imagine biblically as we look into the scriptures, Romans, imagine what the ideal church would look like, okay? The ideal church. If you were to say, this is what I think the church should look like, in all of its beauty, okay? In all of its beauty, representing the head of the church, Jesus Christ, what would it look like, or what should it look like? I want you to remember, how many of you have heard this, the hymn, Onward Christian Soldiers? Okay. There's a, there's a good phrase in the hymn, and this is what it says. It says, like a mighty army moves the church of God, Brothers, we are treading where the saints have trod. We are not divided. All one body we, one in hope and doctrine, one in charity, which is the old word for love. The church is described in a lot of ways in the Bible. It's called the bride of Christ, the body of Christ, the temple, the dwelling place of God, the pillar and foundation of truth. And as the church is described in the Bible, it's a, it's a beautiful picture of, of, what, of what we, I would say we are to be, those who call themselves follower of Jesus Christ. If you're here this morning, we are the church. And if you're not here this morning, considering yourself a part of the church, I hope that both for those of us who are and those of us that aren't, that we would see what the church is and all of its beauty representing Jesus Christ. So what will we look like if we represent the beauty of the church? Okay, I want you to, if you're in Romans, we're going to just kind of work our way quickly in Romans 12 through 13 verses, okay? We're going to do this really quickly because this is, the first question is, what should it look like, okay? What should the church look like in, in all of its beauty, and so we're going to look at verses 1 through 13, and then we're going to ask the question, how is this possible? And we're going to look at a few more verses, okay? Starting at verse 1, and I'm going to read through and I'm going to summarize. And so, dear brothers and sisters, I want you to notice that word so in some translations is translated therefore, and, 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 and what it's there for is to say in light of the first 11 chapters, the first, you know, if you were to go back, this, we're in Romans 12, if you were to thumb through the first 11 chapters, in light of those chapters, this, and because of those chapters, this is what our response should be in light of what Paul has written. So remembering that, and so, and we're going to come back a little bit, and so I plead with you to give your bodies to God because of all he has done for you. I want 
them to be a living and holy sacrifice, the kind he will find acceptable. This is truly the way to worship God. The first thing I want us to see, just summarizing this really quickly, is that if we recognize what he has done for us, our response will be, I'm going to put it, God-intoxicated people. It's interesting, it's almost like an Athanasius. God-intoxicated people, God-crazy people. The picture here is the picture of a whole burnt offering in the Old Testament. Says, Paul says, in light of what God has done for us, I want you to be people who would do anything for God. Anything. God intoxicated, whole burnt offering, meaning our bodies, our beings are completely for him. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your soul, all your strength, all your mind. And what Paul is saying is if we want to rightly represent Jesus, it can't be a halfway thing. It's got to be all of us. I mean, if he is the God of the universe, the creator God of the universe who went to the cross and died for us and brought us into relationship with him, how can we be apathetic about that? So first of all, if we want to rightly, rep- if we want to be a beautiful church, a representative of Jesus, we've got to be Jesus-intoxicated people, God-intoxicated people. Okay? Look at verse 3. Because of the privilege and authority God has given me, I give each of you this warning. Don't think you are better than you really are. Be honest in your evaluation of yourselves, measuring yourselves by the faith that God has given us. Just as our bodies have many parts and each part has a special function, so it is with Christ's body. We are many parts of one body and we all belong to each other. And the second thing, just summarizing briefly, besides being God intoxicated, we need to be people who are emptied of ourselves, full of God, intoxicated with God, but self-emptied. Self-emptied. You see how it says, don't think you're better than you really are, but think being honest in our valuation according to the faith that God has given us. Okay? Self-emptied. Go on to verse 6. In his grace, God has given us different gifts for doing certain things well. So if God has given you the ability to prophesy, speak out with as much faith as God has given you. If your gift is serving others, serve them well. If you are a teacher, teach well. If your gift is to encourage others, be encouraging. If it is giving, give generously. If God has given you leadership ability, take the responsibility seriously. And if you have a gift for showing kindness to others, do it gladly. And I would summarize this simply by saying, not only are we to be God-intoxicated, self-emptied, but we're to be others-oriented. Others-oriented and, and zealous about it. You see, if, if it's teaching, do it well. If it's giving, do it generously. If it's serving, Go about it with all your being. As members of one body, what are we? We're about one another. I think one of the things that 
wreaks havoc within the body of Christ as we become so self-centered and so self-absorbed. God intoxicated, self-emptied, <coughs> others oriented, and now verses 9 through 13. Don't just pretend to love others. Really love them. I, this is one of the things that turns so many people off to the church. Isn't it? Turns people off to the church. Hypocrisy. Pretense. Put on. Says, don't just pre don't show up on Sunday mornings. Don't hang out with one another, putting on a facade like, oh, isn't it? How are you? It's great. Yeah, it's, don't you love Jesus? I love him too, at least with my smile. Yeah. <laughs> Pretense, put on, hypocrisy. Don't just pretend to love others, really love them. Hate what is wrong. Hold tightly to what is good. Be real people. Don't put on a pretense on the outside, but on the inside, full of bitterness and envy and jealousy and competitiveness. Hate what is wrong. Hold tightly to what is good. Love each other with genuine affection and take delight in honoring each other. As we come to the end of this, uh, th this last paragraph, it's really the culmination of the first ones we've looked at. If we're God-intoxicated, self-emptied, others-oriented people, we will be a people who are free to love one another. I mean, free to really love one another, genuinely, affectionately, enthusiastically, because we're not going to be bound by our own hang-ups. We're not going to be bothered by other people's hang-ups. We're going to be so focused on Jesus that we're just free to love, deeply love. Love each other with genuine affection. Delight in honoring each other. Not bothered because we don't get honor, but just eager to honor one another. Not lazy, but working hard and serving the Lord enthusiastically. Enable to live with an abandon. And a, and, a, and a diligence and a passion and perspective. Verse 12, rejoice in our confident hope, patient in trouble, keeping on praying a perspective because we have a clear sense of who we are, our identity in Christ. Verse 13, and when God's people are in need, be ready to help them, always eager to practice hospitality. Not just talking, not just saying, oh, I love you, and um, uh, oh, you need some help. Well, um, I, I still love you. Oh, I got to go. Kind of as John says, not just in word or tongue, but in deed and truth. I love this. The word hospitality here, we see it again in, in Hebrews chapter 13. And it's almost like in Hebrews chapter 13, it says that hospitality or entertaining strangers unaware could be an opportunity to actually entertain an angel. I almost wonder if God sends his angels, according to Hebrews 13, around 
to our homes, to where we hang out, to see if we really have the love of Christ in us. And so that's it summarized really quickly. God intoxicated. Are you crazy about Jesus with your whole being? Emptied of yourself. It's not about you. It's about others. And therefore, free to really love one another deeply. You notice what we don't see in these verses? It, the, the, the church in all of its beauty doesn't have anything to do with buildings. Do you notice that? It's okay to meet in a coffee house or in your home, out in the woods, or in a church building. But it's not about buildings. It's not about programs. If I were to summarize it, I would say it's deeply loving God and one another with humility to the best of our ability, sincerely. Sincerely. I mean, there's no hidden cracks. That's kind of the meaning of that word. There's no crack that's been covered over what you see is what you get. We're just real. People eager to love one another. Now the question is, good grief, how can we, how can we be that? The wonderful thing is, is I think you guys do a really good job. Uh, there was somebody visiting here a few Sundays ago and talked to my wife and, uh, and as she was trying to describe us, her description was, you're real, which is wonderful, if we are. It's that sincerity, that no hidden cracks covered over who we are in our communication with one another, in our love, in our service, in our sacrifices. It's who we are. We just... Because of what he's done for us, we just want to love each other. Go back to verse 1, if you would. And this is where we're going to just kind of answer the question, well, how is it possible? For some of you, this morning you're saying, man, I, I know. Because there's two things. Let me just kind of say this. There's two things that I think hinder this deep, sincere humble love happening towards one another, loving one another deeply from the heart. I think the first thing is our own inadequacies. I don't know about you, but th that's where I struggle a lot of time. My own inad I stumble over myself. <laughs> and if I'm stumbling and if I'm struggling with myself, it's hard for me to with abandon love others because I'm so hung up with my own struggles. Maybe that's where you're at this morning. Your own inadequacies, your own failures, your own struggles that just keep tripping you up and keep you from being able to just love others deeply from the heart. I think the other is others' inadequacies. Not just my own inadequacies and struggles that keep tripping me up, but other people's struggles that trip me up. <laughs> I'm so busy looking at other people's 
inadequacies, I just can't love them because they're so unworthy of love. And so I spend my time, instead of just being able to be free to love others, I'm, I'm struggling with them, and I'm critiquing them, and I'm criticizing them, and I'm condemning them, and I'm, I'm not wanting to be around them. How can we love one another deeply from the heart? Just be this beautiful reflection of, of Jesus, the greatest lover who's ever lived. How can we be that way to one another in light of our inadequacies and others' inadequacies. Go back to verse 1, if you would. The key is right there. Notice it says, And so, dear brothers and sisters, I plead with you to give your bodies to God because of all he has done for you. That's the answer right there. It's the key. What gives us the ability to just give of ourselves to God and others with abandon and and honesty and transparency and, and depth of love is because what he has done for us. What he has done for us. And you say, how is that possible? I want to go back to Romans 3, and I want to just highlight for us about eight verses, eight passages that capture what he has done for us and why for us it should make a difference. Romans chapter 3. Romans chapter 3. First of all, we need to see why he needed to do something for us. Look at Romans 3, verse 10. It says, No one is righteous, not even one. No one is truly wise. No one is seeking God. All have turned away. All have become useless. No one does good, not a single one. And if you flip down to verse 23, it says, For everyone is sinned, and we all fall short of God's glorious standard. And that's who we are, as described by the scriptures, separated from God, alienated from him, alienated from others, and alienated from ourselves. We're just hurting people, unable to really love God and love others. So what has God done for us? Look at verse 24, Romans 3.24. Yet God with undeserved kindness, declares that we are righteous. He did this through Jesus Christ when he freed us from the penalty of sins. That's the first thing I want you to see. If you're, if you're just putting some notches in your head, the first thing that he's done for us is that he freed us from the penalty of sin. He paid the penalty of sin. Verse 23. Five, for God presented Jesus as the sacrifice for sin and people are made right with God when they believe that Jesus sacrificed his life shedding his blood. The penalty is paid. Look down at chapter 4, verse 7. It carries on the thought, Oh, what joy for those whose disobedience is forgiven, whose sins are put out of sight. Yes, what joy for those whose record the Lord has cleared of sin. And this might mean the most of those of you who have had a record with the criminal justice system. Imagine it. I mean, the record. I mean, we're... Um,
in seeking to help so many people who have a record, there's some who some whose record, because it hasn't been cleared and maybe can't be cleared, how it just stymies them and hinders them. Maybe that's where you are at this morning. Your record, it's just like this dark cloud over you that keeps you from getting a job or keeps you from getting housing or keeps you from just being able to... It's the beauty of what he has done for us. He's paid the penalty of our sins and he's cleared our record. There's no more record for those who are in Christ Jesus. You see what that does for our inadequacies? For our constant struggle with guilt and condemnation and shame? If we believe this, that he has cleared our record, that he's put our sins out of his sight? Look at Romans chapter 6. Keep going. Not only has he paid the penalty, but look at Romans chapter 6, verse 5. He's ended sin's power. Romans chapter 6, verse 5. Since we have been united with Jesus in his death, we will also be raised to life as he was. And we know that our old sinful selves were crucified with Christ so that sin might lose its power. Sin's penalty is paid Sin put out of his sight, our record cleared. Look at Romans 6.11. So you also should consider yourselves to be dead to the power of sin. The inadequacies, the struggles, the ways we keep failing. And we think, what can I do? And there's nothing I can do. Sin's penalty is paid and sin's power in Christ is broken. I mean, these are truths. I just want, I want you to seep the, because of what he has done for us, because of what he has done for you, this is truth that should break the hold of your inadequacies that they have on you and others' inadequacies that bug you and free us to love deeply. Go to Romans 8. Page 863, Romans 8.28. Sin's penalty paid, sin's power broken. Where does that leave us? And we know that God causes, therefore, everything to work together for the good of those who love God and who are called according to his purpose. For God knew his people in advance and he chose them to become like his son so that his son would be the firstborn among many brothers and sisters. And having chosen them, he called them to come to him. And having called them, he gave them right standing with himself. And having given them right standing, he gave them his glory. Look down at verse 38. And so Paul says, I am convinced that nothing can separate us from God's love. Nothing. And it goes on and says... Nothing. Sin's penalty paid, sin's power broken. Us, as God's chosen people, being right at the heart of his purpose, nothing being able to separate us from his love. Romans 9.25 Concerning the Gentiles, God says in the prophecy of Hosea, those who are not my people, I will now call my people. 
I will love those whom I did not love before. And then at the place where they were told, you are not my people, there they will be called children of the living God. And you know, if we really got that this morning, if we just got the truth of what these verses are saying that I've just read, I mean, we would have to say, I mean, we would be, that's amazing. We who were separated from God with our own inadequacies and and everybody around us filled with our inadequacies, sin's penalty paid, sin's power broken, us in the midst of God's purpose, nothing being able to separate us from him, we, the children of the living God. Okay, flip back to Romans 5, and I want us just to kind of close with a phrase here that I want, I want you to remember. Romans 5, look at verses 1 and 2. Therefore, since we have been made right in God's sight by faith, we have peace with God because of what Jesus Christ, our Lord, has done for us. This is the phrase. Because of our faith, Christ has brought us into this place of undeserved privilege where we now stand. You get that? Because of our faith in Christ and what he has done for us, Christ has brought us to this place of undeserved privilege where we now stand. If we got that phrase, if you got that phrase, it would impact the inadequacies you feel, the inadequacies inadequacies around you that... And it would enable you to deeply love. This place of undeserved privilege where we stand. Do you get it? If you are in Christ this morning, if you're a part of his church, you stand in what Christ has done. Are you standing? Or are you struggling? I mean, so many of us, I mean, as we hear the testimonies week after week after week, and as we talk together week after week, so many of us, we're just constantly struggling. We're constantly struggling with our own inadequacies, our own sins, our own failures. And why is it? Because we forget that we've been brought to a place in Christ where we should be standing in the truth of what he has done for us. What he has done, what he has accomplished, it's ours. The penalty of sin is paid. The power of sin is broken. We are in the midst of God's purposes and nothing can separate us from him. We're his children. Are you feeling inadequate this morning? Are you struggling? Are you failing? Look to Jesus. Look to Jesus. You know, I think one of the biggest problems why we, why we don't stand is because we, where are we looking? We're looking at ourselves. We're looking at our own, and I tell you, I, I got enough inadequacies for all of us, and, and half the time I'm absorbed with those inadequacies, and it just stymies me. 
from deeply and passionately loving people because I'm absorbed with my own inadequacies that Christ has taken care of. Isn't that sad? What Christ has taken care of, I'm absorbed with because my eyes are on my inadequacies instead of Christ. And who I am, this place of undeserved privilege where I stand. Or I'm absorbed with other people's inadequacies. And why? Because I forget that it's a place of undeserved privilege. It's what God has done for me by his grace. And as I look at others... I forget and I look at them and I forget that it's by grace that I am what I am and so I'm trying to correct them or straighten them out or make them what they should be, forgetting that it's by God's grace that they're going to become what they should be. This place of undeserved privilege in which I now stand. When the church fails to look like the church, when we fail to represent Jesus, it's because we've forgotten who we are. We've forgotten whose we are. We begin to look at ourselves. We begin to look at others. We begin to struggle with who we are. We begin to struggle with how others are. And we're not able to love one another deeply from the heart. We've got to get our eyes back on Jesus. This place of undeserved privilege in which we now stand. I, you know what I just like to encourage you all this morning because I realize that in a few moments what can we get I really would like to ask if you're struggling with your inadequacies and struggling with other people's inadequacies so you're either beating up on yourself or full of shame or guilt or condemnation or you're looking at others and condemning them or struggling with them and we're not able to love one another deeply from the heart with abandon with passion and with honesty Come back to Romans. I just encourage you, just go back. I'll give you the verses. And just remember what Christ has accomplished for us, putting us in this place of undeserved privilege where we can stand and where we can live and where we can love with abandon. Able to forgive then because we know that we're forgiven. We're able to accept ourselves and others because we know that we're completely accepted by God. We're able to live in freedom because we know that we're free. And you see that it's because of what he has done for us then that we can be liberated to live before and love others as the church that God intends us to be. In John 13, Jesus says, by this all men will know that you are my followers if you have good messages on Sunday morning. <laughs> We'd be in bad shape then, maybe, huh? <laughs> By this, all people know that you're my disciples if you have really impressive programs or really big buildings or if you love one another. That's all it says. Deeply, with humility, sincerely, to the best of our ability, from the heart, loving one another deeply. How can we do that? Only if we remember how much he loves us, what he's done for us. I encourage you, go back. If you haven't read the book of Romans lately, go back and remember how much he loves you so that you can be freed to love others. Let's pray.
Father, I thank you for what you've made us to be, what you've planned and purposed for us to be as your church, as your people, your, your bride, your, your, your temple, your body. Father, you're ambassadors in this world, such a broken and hurting world, so full of hurt and brokenness and inadequacies. Father, I pray that you would lift up our eyes to look beyond our inadequacies and others around us to who we are, to whose we are, so that we can love. Thank you, Father, for who we are in Jesus. Amen.